Part four, spirit and truth. When the mystical meets the logical. So that's what we're talking about is spirit and truth. It's based on John 4, 23 and 24. John 4, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus is calling people to worship in spirit and in truth, to not just be believers, but to be worshipers. The two goals I have for this series are for each of us to receive the fullness of our life in Christ, rather than settle for a one-dimensional faith. There is a lot to our relationship with God, and we don't want to miss major parts of it. We don't want to miss the truth because we're in the spirit. We don't want to miss the spirit because we're in the truth. We want to receive both spirit and truth. It's like the uh, tires on a car. You know, you need all four of them. If you've got one really, really, really nice tire and the other three were flat, are, it's not going to work out for you, right? So there are certain things where you need to have everything working to go forward. Now, if I wanted to uh, become an engineer, you know, not a train engineer, but a, a mechanical engineer, something like that. Uh, how much do I need to know about biology? Maybe a little, not much. How much do I need to know about how the uh, final four is going for college basketball? You know, how much do I need to know about gardening? You know, I, it's not all that important. I don't need to shore up all of those to be a mechanical engineer. However, if I'm going to follow Christ, I need spirit and truth. Both of these work together. And if we are missing the one, then it's going to distort the other and not allow us to walk into the fullness of what we could have. So I want us to walk into that fullness, receive everything that God has for us so that we can function effectively as believers. And then goal number two is for each of us to embrace the God-ordained differences between individual people and between groups of people. You know how God makes people different? We're more comfortable, though, with people that are the same as us. And one of the problems is, is God has different jobs, different functions for different people. And these different jobs and functions are very, very important. But people who have opposite jobs don't necessarily trust and understand and value the other people. You know, there are spirit people who are concerned about truth people. And there are truth people who are concerned about spirit people. And it's difficult to get them in the same room working together and valuing each other in a proper way. So that's an important goal. We'll talk a lot more about that next week. So last time we were talking to the people who receive the spirit, but who need to embrace worshiping in truth. Hey, the Holy Spirit is great. We need to walk in the truth. Uh, It's very, very important. We need to follow the rules. Amen. We must follow the rules. So 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12 is uh, our recap verse. One of my favorite ones, the Thessalonians were doing so great. Paul writes them two letters and, you know, he says things like, you're doing so awesome. Just keep doing it. You know, things like that. These were, these people were doing very, very well. And so he tells them even some very second and third level things. And this is one of the things he tells them. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life 
to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you. What if the 2.3 billion Christians on the planet did this? Mind your own business. Work with your hands. You know, uh, that would be huge. Verse 12, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Live a life of truth, a quiet life, working with your hands, not being dependent, but being able to help others. Very important stuff. Today, though, we're going to talk about embracing, worshiping in spirit. So let's pray and we will work toward that end. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, that you don't leave us here to just wander around, do the best we can, but you guide us by your spirit and you guide us by your word. Help us to grab hold of what you've got for us today. Lord, each one of us is going through something different. We're fighting different parts of the battle and we need a different touch from you. And so, Lord, I pray by your spirit, you would uh, touch each one of us with exactly what we need so that we can believe in you more, we can serve you better so that we can walk in your ways, Lord, and grab the fullness of what you've got for us. So bless our time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Embracing, worshiping in spirit. So how do you get good at worshiping in spirit? It's different from uh, worshiping in truth. In truth, we learn the truth and we put it into practice. You know what you're supposed to do and then you do it. And you can kind of grit your teeth and make that happen, you know. Um, But worshiping in spirit is different. You don't just grit your teeth and all of a sudden you have the fruits of the spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, patience. Like, okay, now I've got love and joy and peace and patience in my heart. You know, it, it just doesn't work like that. We can't really force these things to happen. We can pretend, but we can't make it happen. What we do is we ask God for his spirit, and then we abide in the vine. We stay in the presence of the Lord and let that spiritual atmosphere begin to affect and change our heart. And we connect ourselves with the power of God for spiritual gifts, for divine abilities. Um, Man, I wish we could stay till one. I've taken every group over so far. It's a It's not good. I have so many things to say, but you know, uh, resurrection Sunday is in two weeks. That means I got to get some stuff done because we're talking about the resurrection in two weeks. That's just the way it is. We're we're not getting out of that. I can't be like, well, we're going to continue to talk about this. It's resurrection Sunday. So it's the greatest miracle in the history of the world. It's a big deal. It fits into this really well. So it'll be the culmination of the spirit and truth series. Well, we got to get everything else done before we get there. So I better quit wasting my time. All right. If you lean towards the truth at the expense of the spirit, this is where I came from. I'm a logic person. I'm a Scandinavian person. I'm a emotionless, you know, I'm not quite that bad, but you know what I mean? Like I just, I like the information. I don't necessarily need to feel the moment, you know? I just want 
the information. I remember as a new believer reading through the Psalms and it was just the most frustrating thing I've ever done in my life. You know, like, oh yeah, you're having a bad day. I don't care what's going on, you know, and, and I was looking for information and I wasn't getting any. And then 10 years later, I go back to the Psalms and I'm fighting through my struggles. I'm like, oh, this is so beautiful. You know, and you learn to connect with these other things of God. And so I've had to learn to understand the things of the spirit because my natural tendency is to be a person of truth. But the reality is that the truth is that God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So the truth is that the spirit is real and we need to embrace the things of the spirit if we're going to walk in the fullness of God. So why did Jesus come to the earth? A variety of reasons. He came to save people from their sins. Matthew one twenty one, Very important. Matthew one twenty one. Mary, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people From their sins. Huge reason. He came to uh, destroy the devil's work. 1 John 3, 7 and 8. 1 John 3. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So when I steal from someone, it hurts them. That is not something from God. That's something from the devil. And so Jesus came to stop us from hurting each other. When you speak evil over someone, that's not from God. That's from the devil. And Jesus came to stop us from speaking evil over other people. When we hurt people, that's sin. And that's something that Jesus came to stop. He came to stop people from hurting each other in this world. It's described here as destroying the devil's work. Amen? That's pretty important. He came to give us life to the full. John 10.10 The thief, which is the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life, have it to the full. King James, have it more abundantly, to give us fullness of life, abundant life. Hallelujah for that. How many people have thought, well, God's plan for me is to suffer through this existence until I finally get to go to heaven. Well, here's the deal. We're to have abundant life now. It's part of God's plan. You know, yes, there are martyrs. There's difficulties, all that stuff. You know, we're in the middle of a war, but part of the war is fighting to grab hold of abundant life today. It's true. He came to give us Abundant life. He came to be made king. We won't read that one. He came here to do many, many things. One of the major reasons Jesus came was to be the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. It's a very, very important concept, a core biblical concept. If you're someone who is afraid of the phraseology, baptize in the Holy Spirit, then let me just say, embrace the moment. Let's take a look at this and see what it says. Because we don't want to miss the great things of God because of any preconceptions. So let's go to Matthew 3, 11. We're going to look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see 
what John the Baptist has to say about the progression of the plan of God. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Mark 1.8, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke 3.16, John answered them all. That's John the Baptist. I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And John chapter 1, then John gave this testimony. Again, this is John the Baptist, not the John, the disciple. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So we see in the early parts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is talking about John the Baptist baptizing a baptism of repentance in water. And then Jesus will come after. And just as people have been dunked in the water, they're going to be dunked in the spirit of God. And people will be changed by the spirit of God. This is a big deal, a core central doctrine that it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you know the virgin birth only made two of the four gospels? Do you know you must be born again is only in one of them? This is in all four. And it's in Acts. This is a core central thing, like the resurrection, the crucifixion. Core stuff. We must understand how central this is to the gospel. So let's go to Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 3. After his suffering, that is, after Jesus died on the cross, and then he rose from the grave, we celebrate in Holy Week, which, by the way, the Good Friday service is going to be here. We're going to do a, a Tenabra service. Uh, that's kind of fun. We're going to black out all the windows, and then as we read through the story of the crucifixion, it gets darker and darker and darker till it's pitch black and everybody leaves in silence. It's going to be fantastic. I I really like those types of services. Haven't done one of those in 10 years, but uh, I'm excited about it because it really shows the power of the crucifixion and the difficulties that people went through and what the glory of the resurrection was. Because you don't understand the glory of the resurrection without the pain of the crucifixion. And so that's going to be Good Friday right here at noon. So... Acts chapter 1. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So do do I need to give you a proof that I'm alive? Anyway, whatever. He showed himself to these people, gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. I love the phraseology of that. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So this is the period of time between the resurrection of Christ and the ascension where he floats up into the clouds and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So this is a a little period of time where Jesus is talking to people before he's glorified. Very interesting situation. Verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, so he could eat, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. 
For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So it hasn't happened yet. The Holy Spirit has been present the whole time, of course, but this special next thing hasn't happened yet. The immersion has not occurred. And so Jesus says, wait for this. Verse six. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So have you ever noticed that God wants to do something and people are over here thinking about other things? It's not necessarily that they're wrong necessarily. They're just on the wrong track. They're, they're in the wrong topic. And so they're saying to Jesus, so now are you going to become the president and kick out the Romans and, and make us a strong military power on the earth again? Is that going to happen now? And he doesn't even really deal with them. You know, let's read the next verse. Verse seven. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. So he's just basically he's skirting around that. Okay, that's where you're thinking. You're thinking political. It's not really what's going on right now. It's not for you to know the times or the dates. And then verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So instead of running scared, instead of not knowing what to do, you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. That happened with this ragtag bunch of people that were empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Have you ever thought to yourself, I wish I had more power? You will receive power. Have you ever felt like you didn't have the strength, you weren't empowered enough, you weren't able to succeed in a particular situation? Wouldn't it be nice to have more power? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. For them, it was empowerment to be witnesses for the kingdom of God, for what Jesus has done. Let me tell you, um, we're not going to do Romans 8. The notes are out on the table if you want to read the other stuff. I've got too much in here to say before for us to get where we're going. Third time around, you learn these things. So, but the deal is here, if you feel like Gritting your teeth and trying as hard as you can just isn't working. You need the Holy Spirit of God to empower you. And it's different from willpower. Like if, let's say somebody is prone to stealing and they just want to steal things and they know they shouldn't, so they just grit their teeth and don't steal What happens in a weak moment? They steal something. But when your heart is changed and you're no longer tempted by that, it's not hard to avoid stealing things because you don't want to steal anything. And so the spirit is more powerful to empower us to do the right thing because we don't have to fight against our heart. Our heart actually gets in line with what God wants. And the Spirit empowers us incredibly. How many people have been too scared to share the truth of God with somebody? This Acts 1.8, you'll, you'll receive power. You'll be able to share without fear. You'll be able to know when you're supposed to and when you're not. 
you'll be able to want to instead of being afraid to do it. Huge. To grab hold of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God. This is where the believer's power comes from. And this wasn't cutesy religious talk, but actual tangible experiences with God. We want to grab hold of the presence and the power and the spirit of God. This was evidence that the Gentiles were accepted by God in Acts chapter 11. Now in, in uh, Jesus' day, it was the day of the unchosen and the chosen. How many people know that there were the chosen ones, the chosen people, the nation of Israel, they were the chosen ones. Everybody else was unchosen. Everybody else was excluded from citizenship in Israel, as it says in Ephesians 2, that they're on the outside. There's the unchosen. There's the Jews. There's the Gentiles. Now we live in the day of salvation where everyone has access to uh, salvation, to being a child of God, to being brought into the kingdom and the family of God, to have the inheritance of a shared inheritance with Christ. Everyone has that accessible to them. It's been like that for 2,000 years. And so the idea of the chosen people and the others is foreign to us. Except, of course, there are individuals who have felt unchosen. Like, how come I have to fight and claw and God doesn't seem to like me and I feel unchosen? But this... Holy Spirit experience, the connection with the Spirit of God, brought in the Gentiles and the Jews into one body. Let's read this in Acts chapter 11. Peter is getting called on the carpet for sharing the gospel with Gentiles. You know, like, you're supposed to, we're, we're the Jews, we talk to the Jews, here you are talking to Gentiles, we need to have a big meeting. At a big meeting in Jerusalem. And Peter's in trouble, and they're having a discussion about it. And here's how it goes. Acts 11. Right then, so Peter is in the middle of telling the story of going to Cornelius' house. And so we pick it up here. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. So the Holy Spirit is coming on the Gentiles. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the, with the Holy Spirit. So who is this you? You disciples? You Jewish believers, who's this you? This you now becomes everybody. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? It's like, look, God's blessing these people. (laughs) Look at that. Who was I to oppose God? Now, the Jewish people did not like the Gentiles. What was the response of the Jewish believers. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. 
Well, looky there. I guess it isn't the chosen people and the unchosen. It isn't the Jews and the Gentiles anymore. It isn't we get to take the land and kill the inhabitants and God will go to war for us and destroy all of them. Now it's all of us are embraced by God who will come in. It's the time of the, den- of the Gentiles, the time of salvation. It's the day of God's favor. So then, <laughs> God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life because we, they saw the Holy Spirit come upon them. Now, in order to give this its proper weight, here Peter is defending his ministry to the Gentiles, to the Christian Jews. Paul does the same thing to the non-Christian Jews in Acts 22, verses 21 and 22. And so Paul is giving his long speech and he's talking about all, you know, his Jewish history and all these things. And then at the end of it, he says, then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So he's recounting this to the chosen people, how God is sending him to the Gentiles. And verse 22, the crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. This is the environment that Peter shared his story in, except the people Peter shared his story to were people who believed in what Jesus had done and who had received the Holy Spirit. It was a spirit of inclusion. It's a spirit of love. It's a spirit of, oh, wow, you're in too? Great. And rejoicing rather than pushing people out and saying, you're not one of our kind. You don't belong here. Not that, but a spirit of inclusion. Isn't that powerful? John 7, 37 through 39. is talking about something very, very important. We talked about earlier in John chapter 4, Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well and telling her about living water. And here now in chapter 7, he revisits the same topic and describes it in better detail. John seven thirty seven. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So here's, here's what you do. You come to him and drink. It's just that simple. We're doing all this talking about all these different things. If you just catch that, you're good. Come to him and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. So when we come to him and drink, then there's something that changes in us and we're able to share something different with other people. And this is explained in the next verse. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So again, the Holy Spirit was poured out in this particular way after Jesus ascended after he was glorified and the people received the Holy Spirit. So now, how do we connect with the Holy Spirit of God? We connect in worship. We connect in prayer. We connect during special times set aside for God. I'm a big fan of setting aside time to fast and pray, uh, going to conferences, you know, 
Um, spiritual highs are a good thing. Don't think they're your new normal. You will come down. That's fine too. Ups and downs are fine. You know, have some highs, come back down, live your life. That's okay. Uh, we want to have special times where God can do a good work in us. Um, and then even in our, just our daily living, we interact with the Holy Spirit, the power of God. So it's very, very important for the believers who know the truth to also receive the right spirit, receive the Holy Spirit, commune with, here it describes as be overwhelmed by, be immersed in, baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's, you know, the Greeks, they would baptize their dishes. You know, they took the dishes, they put them in the water. That's the same word. It's a complete immersion and enveloping in the Holy Spirit of God. Changes our heart, changes our outlook, makes a difference for us. Here's the hard question of the day. What happens when you want to be a Christian, you want to go to heaven, but you prefer other spirits besides the Holy Spirit? What happens if you prefer a judgmental spirit? What happens if you prefer a religious spirit? a covetous spirit, a lustful spirit, a prideful spirit. What happens when you embrace the wrong spirits? Bad things. Okay? Bad things. We need to embrace the Holy Spirit. It's not just about understanding and saying we agree with the right things. It's about having our heart align with the heart of God. And that is the work of the Spirit. There are other spirits. Let's do 2 Timothy 1.7. Let's look at that. Here Paul is encouraging young Timothy who is afraid to step out in what God has called him to do. And Paul says this to, to Timothy, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, in the King James, a spirit of fear. Is timidity evil? Not really. But it can rob you of your future in Christ if you're unwilling to step into that scary thing that God's called you to do. So timidity can take away something incredible. So it's dangerous. It's not an evil heart, but it can rob you of your future just the same. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. He's saying to Timothy, you've got the wrong spirit. You've got a spirit of fear. You've got a spirit of timidity. You don't have that spirit of power and love and self-discipline. We need to embrace the right spirit, the Holy Spirit. Connect with the Spirit of God. The good news is, You don't need to understand everything. If you seek the Holy Spirit, then counterfeits will show themselves. As you get to know the things of God, as you get to understand the things of God, you can feel wrong spirits. You can understand that. I assume everybody can. Can you do that? Can you feel that? I hope so. Uh, If you're not sure what I'm talking about, then spend some time in the presence of God. Go home. 
put on some worship music and just say, Lord, I want to understand what this Holy Spirit stuff is and just spend some time there. And you can start to understand it. You got to walk in it to know what's really going on. The good news is, though, you don't need to understand everything. When we seek the Holy Spirit, the counterfeits show themselves. I'm going to invite the uh, prayer teams and the, uh, uh, the communion servers up. We're going to receive communion this morning, and we're going to pray. As they do that, let's, uh, let's kind of tie this all together. So Jesus came to immerse us in the Holy Spirit. He came to be the one who follows John the Baptist, who called people to repentance, and then those who have been called to repentance will be brought into, immersed in the Holy Spirit of God. Provides the heart change. We walk in the Spirit. Then, we ask God, we receive the Holy Spirit. Through the Spirit, we we receive the fruits of the Spirit. Our heart begins to change. We receive empowerment by God, the gifts of the Spirit, both natural and supernatural abilities. Doesn't that sound good? What could possibly go wrong with that? Well, we'll talk about that next week. Just like things can go wrong with truth and people can argue over meaningless doctrines and theologies and get totally off track, so things can get funny with the Spirit and get off track as well. And the bottom line is, if we're going to help one another progress in truth and in Spirit, we're going to need to love each other in our weaknesses. We're going to need to love each other in our imperfections. We're going to need to love each other when we make our mistakes. Because guess what? We will be imperfect. We will make our mistakes. We will fall. We will do things that aren't great. That won't happen every moment of every day. But it will happen. That's why we need to love each other more and more. We'll talk about that next week. Let's look at Romans 5, 6 through 8. If we're going to love one another when one another is imperfect, when one another has things wrong with them, we're really just scratching the surface of the love that Christ has for us. Let's read these verses. Paul says in Romans 5, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Who did Christ die for? The ungodly. Who did Jesus love enough to sacrifice for? The ungodly. How hard do you have to work to get into that category? Jesus loves you. He sacrificed for you as long as you're at least in the ungodly category. We don't earn this. This is poured out on everybody. Ungodly. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. So Paul is saying, 
the way we look at things, we might make a sacrifice for someone great. We might be willing to die for a fantastic cause. What cause did Jesus die for? Next verse. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we're messed up, while we're rejecting God, while we're having strife with people, while we're walking in sin and messing other people's lives up, looking at that, Jesus said, somebody needs to help them. And he was willing to die for us while we were still sinners. Let's recognize that as we receive communion. And then let's have God's heart and share that with other people. Let's not just love those who have got it all together. Let's just not love those who are easy. Let's have the heart of Christ who loved us while we were still sinners and died for us. Let's pray. Let's receive communion. Then I'll have a closing prayer and invite people up for individual personal prayer. When it's time for personal prayer, just come up. doesn't matter what the need is. You want to start a relationship with Jesus, come get prayer. You need physical healing. You need a a miracle of some kind. Uh, Whatever it is, come get prayer. Let's pray. But first, let's receive communion. Heavenly Father, we honor you and we worship you and we give you praise. And Lord Jesus, thank you that your response to sinners was to value them, to value us, to die for us, to wash our sins away and make us clean. Thank you for what you've done. We will not forget what you've done for us. And Lord, I pray that you would empower us by your spirit to reflect that same love into this dark world. To know that since we were loved this way, we can love others the same way. We can help them. We can spread your truth. We can walk in your ways. We can share your spirit. Lord, help us to never forget what you've done. Let's partake together. This is the body of Christ, which was broken for you. Thank you, Lord. This is the blood of Christ, which was shed for you. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and we honor you. Help us to receive good things from you, that we may have good things to share. Help us to receive a right spirit from you, so that we can have a right spirit to share. Lord, encourage us, give us strength, And help us to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.